The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org. And the script goes something like this. You need to act on all of your desires. You need to act on all of your wants, everything that you feel in order to live a fulfilled life. And if you don't, if you say no um, to the way that you are, then you'll feel repressed, you'll be unhappy, and you won't live life to the fullest. And that's the script that we are living in, uh, in our world all around us. It's in TV shows, it's in movies, it's in commercials, it's on the radio, it's in books, it's on blogs, it's on billboards. It applies to any area of your life. And specifically, <clears throat> we hear it really loudly when it comes to sexuality and homosexuality. If you feel attracted to the same sex, you should act on those desires if you want to be happy. That's the script. Now, full disclosure, <clears throat> I'm here on this Zoom call in front of you as someone who disagrees with that script, obviously. I just think it's untrue. <laughs> it's, it's simply untrue that if it feels good or if you're attracted to it, you should do it. And specifically, I also believe that the Bible teaches that sexual activity is reserved for the context of one man and one woman marriage. And I think that any sexual activity outside of that marriage, whether opposite sex or same sex, is against God's design and therefore sinful. And so what I want to do tonight is try and give you guys language to talk about that in a way in the, uh, from the Bible in the church that is better. What I want to do is talk about a better script, a script that's better than the script that the world is offering. Um, so... Why am I talking about this? Well, for as long as I can remember, I've experienced exclusive same-sex attractions. Um, even in, in elementary school, when I was just starting to experience attractions, you know, starting to mature, um, the, my attractions were toward other, other boys at school and not, not girls. And when you're young, when you're in elementary school, you don't really have a category for what's normal. You know, it's just life is life and that's what was happening. Um, and so I didn't know that that was different than anyone else, but as I got into middle school and high school, I began to realize that this just wasn't the same experience as my other guy friends. Um, but I didn't tell anyone about what I was experiencing. Uh, I just kept it all to myself. And the, the big reason that I kept it all to myself was that I thought I would be met with hostility and then I would be uh, cast out. Um, if I opened up to what I was feeling about these attractions. So I kept it all to myself. Um, and during high school and throughout college, uh, I began to, to struggle with um, online purity, uh, you know, looking at images and lustful things like that. Um, but I also kept that to myself. Didn't tell anyone about that because I thought that if I told someone about that, then I'd have to tell them that it was directed towards men. So I thought if I let them in just a little bit, if I showed them a little bit about, of my struggle, I'd have to, they might see the whole struggle. And I didn't want them to see the whole struggle. More than anything, I just wanted to be normal. I just wanted to be normal. Um, and so <laughs> there's a, I don't know how many of you guys like Harry Potter, um, but <laughs> yeah, there's some, yeah, great. Oh, there's some thumbs up going, all right, great. Uh, in, the, in the movie, The Goblet of Fire, Harry's name gets thrown into the goblet and it comes out and he's like, I didn't put it in. I didn't put it in. And Ron's like, oh yeah, right. You put it in, right? You just wanted to be famous. And Harry's like, I don't want fame. I don't want, you know, fortune. I don't want everyone looking at me. I just want to be. And then he stops. And he was going to say, I just want to be normal. And that is like the most relatable line in any movie to me ever. I just wanted to be normal. I didn't want to stand out. Um, so I didn't tell anyone. Uh, and, you know, I would go to accountability groups with guys um, in high school and they would talk about, oh, yeah, I'm struggling with lustful thoughts toward this girl or that girl or whatever. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, me too, me too. And uh, I just didn't, didn't open up about it. Um, so that, that continued all the way in the, through college. Um, and I thought, okay, well, what do normal Christian guys do after college? Well, they find a girl and they get married. So I found uh, a wonderful woman <clears throat> uh, that I could tell was interested in me and we started dating. And eventually we became engaged. <clears throat> and, uh, and all throughout our relationship, I just had this growing pit in my stomach 
that the relationship wasn't healthy because it wasn't based on truth. It wasn't based on honesty. It was based on lies. Uh, and that it was going to uh, end in disaster because it, it wasn't real. Um, so the wedding kept getting closer and closer, um, but I didn't know what to do. And then I still remember the date. It was January 19th, 2010. So just over 10 years ago now that this happened. <clears throat> I logged onto Facebook one morning and the first thing I saw was a quote by John Piper uh, that was retweeted from his Twitter. And here's what it said. This was the quote. It said, to be caught in secret sin is a horrible thing. Only one thing worse, not to be caught. Let me just say that one more time. To be caught in secret sin is a horrible thing. Only one thing worse, not to be caught. And the Lord used that quote, just looking at Facebook in the morning, to pierce me to the core and to help me realize that if I didn't start telling others about what the struggle that was going on within me, um, not simply about same-sex attractions, but also about the lust and the online sin and things like that, I was going to shipwreck my impending marriage, my faith, and maybe my whole life. And so the Lord just pierced me to the core and said, Nick, you got to start, you got to be open. You got to get help. You need, you need to let someone in. Um, so I started telling those that were close to me. I told my parents, I told my fiance, uh, and we ended up breaking off our engagement, which is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my entire life. Um, <clears throat> I told my friends, those closest to me. I told some of my coworkers. Um, and at every step of the way, God absolutely floored me with the love and support and encouragement that I got through Jesus um, at every step of the way. Um, <clears throat> and so, so that's kind of where I'm still at today. Uh, I, I still experience same-sex attractions, um, but I've come to believe with every single fiber of my being that the traditional biblical understanding of sexuality, one man and one woman within marriage is really, really good news. Even for people like me, it's really good news. So, so what I just want to do um, is to show you why I think the Bible teaches that sex is reserved for one man and one woman just really briefly, because that's under attack. Uh, even within so-called Christian circles today, um, people are trying to make the Bible um, compatible with acting out on uh, same-sex sexual activity. And so I just want to give, just put a few uh, arguments in your tool belt that you can use if you come across these things to say, nope, that's really not what scripture teaches. Um, and then after that, I want to talk about the alternative script, the, the words uh, from scripture that give us a better yes to say to the world's no, or to the world's, to the world's script um, that I believe with all my heart is better. So if you have a Bible, uh, you don't have to turn there, but uh, we're going to look at, we're going to start in Genesis 1. Uh, verses 26 to 28. These are probably really familiar verses to everybody, um, but there is a lot of truth packed in here. <clears throat> so Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. Um, what we're looking at is we're looking at creation, and specifically in our few verses, we're looking at the creation of mankind. So, so here's what it said. It says, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So again, really familiar verses, um, but I just want to just notice a few things in here that are really important. Um, right away, we see that God created mankind in his image as male and female. <clears throat> really easy to skip over that, but that means something. One of the things that that means is that male and female are not the same thing. Obvious, but it, we need to say that today. Male and female aren't the same thing. It means that they aren't interchangeable. It means that the differences matter. Ordained by God, the differences matter. He created them in his image, male and female. We can't just skip over that. And then 
Notice in verse 28, the command to be fruitful and multiply comes right after God making the male and female. It comes after God making the male and female, which means that sexual activity presupposes sexual difference and the possibility of procreation. That's been God's design all along. Sexual activity, whether we're thinking uh, opposite sex, you know, uh, even outside of marriage, or if we're talking about same-sex sexual activity, sexual activity in God's design presupposes sexual difference in the possibility of procreation. In other words, that's the purpose and the proper context of sexual activity. It presupposes sexual difference. We see the same thing in Genesis 2. So if you look at Genesis 2, verses 22 to 25, um, we see another account of the creation of mankind. The first one focused on, uh, in chapter 1, Adam and Eve is, as male and female. This one focuses on Adam and Eve as husband and wife. Genesis 2. Um, so verses 22 to 25. <clears throat> and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. <clears throat> so what we're seeing here is the first marriage in Scripture. It's really cool. Scripture in Genesis 2 begins with a marriage, and then in Revelation, it ends with a marriage supper, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Marriage, marriage, bookends of Scripture. It's a big deal in Scripture. And notice the wording. It goes from man and woman in verse 22 to man and wife in verse 24. And what we see is that the husband and his wife will become one flesh and they'll be naked and unashamed. So God himself is defining marriage here as a husband and a wife and giving that marriage as the proper context for sexual activity. He's, he's, a, he's defining husband and wife as the only context where sexual activity, to be, to be naked and unashamed and to become one flesh, is, has its proper expression. So I just want to note really clearly here that we're not only picking on same-sex sexual activity, right? These verses make it clear that opposite-sex sexual activity outside of marriage is sinful too. It must be within the context of a one-man, one-woman marriage. And this is, this is the clear teaching all throughout the Bible. Um, so there's more scriptures that we could look at to, to ground it there. But I just want to look briefly at one more, um, one more passage. So if you look at, uh, we're going to turn to the New, New Testament, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. <clears throat> and this one's really important. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. <clears throat> so right in this verse, we see that any sexual immorality, including opposite-sex sexual activity outside of marriage and same-sex sexual activity, is sin. So depending on the version that you, that you most often read, it might say, um, back up in, let's see, in verse 9, where it says men who practice homosexuality, it might say homosexuals, it might say men who practice homosexuality, it might say men who have sex with men. Um, but the word there that the, the, that the Apostle Paul uses literally means those who have sex with the same sex. He actually made up a whole new word. He took two words uh, in, the, in the Greek and put them together, and it's the only time that this word uh, is used other than in 1 Timothy. It's like a brand new word that Paul makes up. It's not used anywhere else in any Greek literature. Um, and so the meaning is really clearly those who have same sex with, or have sex with the same sex. Um, so just like greed, drunkenness, swindling, or cheating, right? All of those other sins are listed in this passage. 
Same-sex sexual sin isn't worse than any other sin that any of us are prone towards. Right? They're all listed in that same list. And yet it's really clear that the Apostle Paul is listing it uh, as sin. And that's really important because there's a huge push to say, well, this verse isn't talking about like the loving, monogamous types of same-sex relationships that we know now. <clears throat> right? It's only talking about like the abusive forms or like, like pedophilia, which was really common in the ancient world. Um, that's what it was condemning. And the way that the Apostle Paul made up that word <laughs> in the Greek, arsenikoitai, that's, what the, that's the name of the word, um, makes it so clear uh, that he's not talking about, there was a separate word for pedophilia in Greek. If he wanted to condemn that, he would have used that, but he didn't. Um, so the arguments to make the Bible compatible with same-sex sexual activity just don't work. And I want to just note one more thing. One of the main arguments that you hear is that, well, Jesus never talked about gay marriage, right? Jesus never talked about it, so he must not care. <clears throat> That's just not true. Of course, he didn't use the phrase gay marriage. <laughs> that wasn't even a concept until, you know, just a few years ago. Um, but Jesus did very clearly define what marriage is. So if you look in Matthew 19, this is so cool. I love what happens here. Um, Matthew 19, the Pharisees, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and they're trying to trick him, right? They're trying to trap him. That's all that the Pharisees ever do. They walk around trying to trap Jesus, get him to say something stupid so they can discredit his whole ministry. Uh, and they ask him a, a question about divorce. In verse three, they say, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? So how does Jesus answer? He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer one foot two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Okay, do those words sound familiar? We just saw them in Genesis chapter two. So Jesus took those words from Genesis chapter two, from the first marriage and said, have you not heard that he who created them from the beginning, male and female, said God, God said, and then, then he quotes that passage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What he's doing is defining marriage as between a man and a woman. Jesus, right there. He's answering a question about divorce. And before he answers his question about divorce, he defines marriage, and he defines it as between a man and a woman. That's Jesus' definition. So Jesus does very clearly speak into the definition of marriage. And we have to hold on to that because it's his words. Uh, it's quoted straight from Genesis chapter 2. So there's just so much more that we could say about what the Bible says. Um, and we can, if you have more questions, we'll do question and answer after this. But I, I just want to move um, into the, well, now what? <laughs> right? Just get really practical. If that's what the Bible teaches, then me, I had to ask myself as someone who's same-sex attracted, well, now what do I do? How do I live? Is there any hopeful fulfillment for happiness, for, for intimacy in my life? And what I want to tell every single one of you and all of your students and everyone that you're talking to is that there is so much hope for a fulfilled, rich life of love and relational intimacy and community within the Bible's sexual ethic. And we need to talk about it. People who experience same-sex attractions, like me, can't only live a life of no, right? You can't just, you can't live into a life of no, 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 no. You need a positive vision for flourishing, for fulfillment, for an amazing alternative script that you can say yes to. I need something that I can say yes to, not just a no. So what is that script? Just a few points here. Number one. The first thing to note is that this is not an us versus them issue. It's not us versus them. I just need to be so clear. There's a place in the church for those who experience same-sex attraction. Their struggle isn't worse than your struggle. Um, it's not on a different level. It's not categorically different. 
it isn't us versus them. Um, maybe you know someone who's experiencing same-sex attraction. Their struggle isn't worse than any other struggle to fight for joy in Jesus over the inferior pleasures of pursuing sin. So <clears throat> just think, is that the way that you talk, right? Just make it personal. Do I talk about it as if it's not worse? <laughs> um, are, are, are you prone to maybe make gay jokes or your students? Uh, maybe homophobic talk or something like that to make, make this an issue with those bad sinners out there and us in here in the church who have it all together, right? There's room for everyone who is fighting their particular brand of temptation in the church of Jesus Christ, who is all of us all together laying our struggles down at the foot of Jesus and saying there is life to be found in you. Um, so just make sure that that's the way you're talking because what we want to do is make people feel safe to confide when they're struggling, right? If you had a student that was struggling with these things, you'd want them to feel safe to come to you and to tell you about that so that you could walk through that with them and point them to Jesus. Um, <clears throat> if we want people who experience same-sex attraction and are fighting, they're fighting to lay their sexuality at the food of Jesus, um, is that the message that they're hearing? Or are they to believe the lies that I believed when I was a teenager because of the way that I heard people talking that it was worse and that I would be cast out and I can't tell anybody about it? This isn't an us versus them issue. Number two, <clears throat> we need a high view of singleness <clears throat> in the church. Now, think about this. Why am I talking about singleness all of a sudden? Well, what happens when the pinnacle of a Christian life becomes married with kids? expressing all of your sexual desires, right? Marriage is where everyone is headed. What happens when that's like the, the, the be all end all of what it means to be a Christian? How do those who are called to lay down their own sexual desires feel? Do they feel welcomed? Do they feel like they have a place in the church? Think about this. Jesus Christ was the most fully human person who ever lived. He never married. He never had sex. He never had kids. It's a lie. It's a lie that you need to express yourself sexually to be fully human and live a full life. You just don't. Do you realize how highly the Bible talks about the gift of singleness? It's stunning. It's absolutely mind-blowing when I started to see it. Um, the Apostle Paul was not married. And in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, he says, I wish that all <laughs> were like I am. But to each one was given his own gift. So what's he talking about there? What are the two gifts that he has in mind? The two gifts, if you look at the context of the passage, are marriage on the one hand and singleness, like him, on the other. And he's echoing the very words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 19 <clears throat> and says both marriage and singleness are gifts. Singleness is a gift. If you ever, maybe you've even talked about this way. I used to talk about it this way for a long time. Um, wondering, do I have the gift of singleness, right? As if it was like a superpower, you know, that some people have it and some people don't. And if you're single and you don't have it, it's going to be completely miserable. And only the people with the gift of singleness should be single. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He says there are two gifts. One's given to one and one's given to other, which means what? If you're married, you have a gift. And if you're single, you have a gift. Your singleness, if you're single, is a gift to be received from the Lord, if you'll receive it that way. If you will receive it, it is a beautiful gift that Paul says you can use in service to the Lord and in service to the church and service to others. <clears throat> Both marriage and singleness are gifts. If we're going to call those with same-sex attractions to lay down their desires for however long the Lord would ask them to do that, Maybe it's for a time, maybe it's for the rest of their lives. Then we need to have a robust vision of singleness and celibacy in the church as a life of fullness and flourishing and not lacking any good thing in Jesus Christ. And that goes for everyone that's listening right now. You might not be same, I mean, you're probably not same-sex attracted, but if you're single, to receive your singleness is a gift. It's a gift from the Lord. And when you get married, if you get married, then that's your gift. 
you have a gift. And maybe one day, after you've been married for 50 years, your spouse will die. Well, what then? You have the gift of singleness again. It's a gift to be received from the Lord. Um, so we need, to, we need to have that view of singleness. And so I, I always just love to tell students, when I'm in a room of students, I just look at them and say, you don't have to get married. And some people have never, you, some people have never heard that before uh, as a viable way to live. And it's like, most of you will get married, but you don't have to. And the Bible thinks that that's a really great way to live. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> if singleness is a gift, how? How is singleness a gift? How does it lead to a life of flourishing within the church? And that leads us to point number three. The church is a place to experience family and rich community in Christ. So this is one of the reasons that it feels, it can feel so unfair to ask those with same-sex attraction to not pursue their desires, right? It can feel unfair because it seems like we're asking them to live life, live life um, without community and without family and without relational intimacy and without love and things like that, right? It can feel that way. But in Christ, that just is not true. It's not true. Think about the way that the Bible talks uh, about relationships that are in Christ. When the Apostle Paul calls Timothy his true child in the faith, in 1 Timothy 1, is that just a ceremonial label? No, it's not. It's a reality in Jesus. He is his true child in the faith. And the title, Brothers and Sisters in Christ, that's not just a metaphor. If you and I are in Christ, then I am more your brother than I am to my unbelieving sister who is blood related to me, right? That's true. We are brothers and sisters. And Listen to this promise from Jesus. This is one of my absolute favorite promises in, the, in all of scripture. It's in Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, verses 29 and 30. This is mind-blowing. Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, it's not going to be easy, and in the age to come, eternal life. There is real family, real intimacy, real relationship to be had in the body of Christ. You don't need a sexual relationship with these things, for these things. I've experienced it firsthand. And I'll, one concrete example right now. Uh, we're in this stay-at-home order right now, and uh, that's not actually my bed. <laughs> I don't have a pink bedspread. Um, I am quarantining with uh, Dave Zuliger and his family. He's the lead pastor at the South Campus at Bethlehem. They invited me when the stay-at-home order came, like, hey, move in with us so you don't have to be alone. And so I've just become a part of their family. I, I help with the dishes. I take out the trash. I watch the kids. Um, we hang out at night. I get to read stories. Um, and what we're doing right now is with me be just being a part of the family is we're giving flesh. We're living out the bond that's already real in Christ. It's already real. We're just living like it's real, <laughs> right? Um, and so I've, and I've had the privilege to kind of be adopted into a few different families that aren't my blood but I'm a part of their family in every single way. Um, I have, I'm Uncle Nick to so many of their kids. I go on vacation with them. I have real brothers and sisters in Christ. I have nieces and nephews. We're family. And so my prayer is that this would just be the reality in the church. I would just love it to just be so common for single folks <clears throat> to be brought into familial life and love so that everyone's needs comes first, comes first once in a while, and no one is considered second class, second rate, not as important. That's the reality that we have in Christ. So I would just love if we could live like that in the church, just make it so much more common um, to express our familial bonds like that. Um, because it's then 
that the church becomes the fulfillment of that promise that we just read from Jesus. You give up something in Christ and you gain it a hundredfold in the church. You, you give up a spouse and uh, brothers and sisters and children and specific types of relational intimacy and you find it a hundredfold in Jesus Christ and in the church uh, and in the relationships that are available there. Um, and then lastly, and then we'll just do a time of questions. <clears throat> um, we need a biblical view of friendship as a deep relationship that's capable of real love and chaste intimacy. I mean, we, we talk about friendship so casually in our culture. You know, we can be friends with 2,000 people on Facebook, right? Friends. Um, but think about how the Bible talks about friendship. Take Proverbs 17, 17 for an example. A friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So if you couple that with Proverbs 18.24, which says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And you can see a different picture of friendship emerging that's not so common in our culture. <clears throat> Friends in our culture can be discarded, right? When you get sick of them, you can just stop being friends with someone. Or when they hurt you, you know, you can just walk away and that's fine. You can just unfriend anyone online. Um, but a biblical friend is someone who's in it for the long haul, one who won't leave when things get tough, who is born for adversity, who will walk through life through thick and thin and sticks closer than a brother or a sister. The ones that Jesus calls his friends, his friends in John 15, 13, are the ones that he died for. He died for his friends. Friendship is a relationship that is made for sacrificial love, for emotional support, <clears throat> um, and for pure, relational, chaste love and intimacy. Friendship can handle that. Friendship can handle that. It might even sound weird to talk about friendship in those terms because of our culture. And I'm not saying that all friends will be at that level, right? <clears throat> we have casual friends, and those are good. All friends can't can't be on that level, but do you have any friends that stick closer than a brother or sister, that seek your well-being over their own, that are willing to say the hard thing and then love you through it, to serve you when it's not convenient, to stick with you after you hurt them? That's a picture of biblical friendship, and Jesus is the ultimate picture of that, who laid down his life for his friends. So, if we take all of those things together, an alternative script begins to emerge. We've just scratched the surface here, guys. There is so much yes that the church has to offer those with same-sex attraction who are laying down their sexual desires for greater joy. And don't miss that. It's all about greater joy. Laying down, laying down, whoops, updates just came out on my computer. That's very inconvenient. Uh, got it. Okay. Uh, laying down sexual desires for greater joy found in Jesus Christ. And in the church, we see these things and lift high the gift of singleness, live out our family and community bonds in Jesus and be biblical, true friends to one another. We have so much that we can say, look at this. Look at this. Yes, you're called to sacrifice. Everyone who's called to follow Jesus has to sacrifice. There isn't one person in, on this call who's following Jesus and isn't sacrificing something that hurts. But in the church, every single one of us have greater things to say yes to um, that make the sacrifices worth it. I'm not saying it'll be easy. I'm not saying that we'll have all the answers all the time, but I am saying that there, there are so many lies about what fulfilled living looks like in the world. And the church meets all of those lies head on and says, there's something better. There's something better. So the question for you guys, the question for your students, the question for everyone in the world is no matter what your temptation or struggle, will you follow Jesus? Will you follow Jesus? Will you say yes to him and then yes to all of the things that he has to offer in Christ? So that's what I got. Um, like I said, we're just scratching the surface. So uh, Liz, I don't, I don't know how you want to do the questions um, or anything like that, but I'm, I'm available for however long you want. So. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks, Nick. That was, that was great. Um, do you guys feel like it's too clunky to just ask, like, you can unmute yourself and ask a question if you have it. Does anyone have a question? You can unmute yourself and... It's so eerily silent with the, the mute button. Liz, is... Oh. Hold on. <laughs> if there's too many questions, we can always use the raise your hand thing. Oh, yeah, that's true. We have raise your hand down here. I can't hear. Sam, do you have a oh, question? Oh, or in the chat. Brittany's saying we could do it in the chat. Does it, but if anyone has a question, they can, um, you guys can just go right ahead with it. I have a question for you, Nick. Yeah. Um, it seems to me that um, oftentimes um, with same-sex attraction, people who struggle with same-sex attraction either um, kind of like you shared, uh, lean more towards not sharing or fully embrace the current culture sure. of living a homosexual lifestyle. Um, I have friends who um, um, are same-sex attracted and they, um, they lean towards not sharing as much. How can I encourage them? It, it feels like it's polarizing. It just feels like a magnet, like either sure. one way or the other. How can I encourage them to be honest and um, what can I do to help? Yeah. I mean, it's tough. Um, I think, I think the biggest thing that you can do is just, and you're probably doing this already. Uh, so many of you are probably doing this already, but just make sure, um, that the way that you talk about your own struggles and your own temptations feels transparent and authentic mm. and, uh, safe. Um, so just be the, the, the people that I felt the most comfortable sharing with and just being open and honest with in my life are the people that I've seen as lead repenters. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the ones who are just so quick to say, man, I just really messed up. That was sin. Um, will either you forgive me or I had to ask forgiveness in this other person or whatever. Um, and so just be live, just live that type of authentic, transparent lifestyle yourself and be really quick to keep short accounts and to go to Christ. Um, and that's just going to make a world of difference to people who are looking around wanting someone to feel safe to confide in. Um, I think another thing is, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how often you guys are like doing messages or like that, or, you know, sharing Bible studies or whatever. Um, but something that was immensely freeing for me is, um, I remember when I started coming, when Pastor Jason here at Bethlehem, uh, started using, um, same-sex attraction as an application in his sermons. Not in like a, a specific like singling out way, but just like the way that he would any other type of struggle or temptation or anything. So he would talk about, you know, struggles against anger and struggles against lust. And then sometimes he would talk about same-sex attraction. And what it did is it just normalized the whole thing. It just made it seem like, yeah, this is just like any other temptation or struggle <clears throat> that's happening um, in the church. And so the more that we can, I think, just um, talk about it or use it just like in everyday examples like that just makes it more like, oh, yeah, well, I can talk about that. Um, and then, I mean, just the last thing I'd say is just kind of the whole point of the last 40 minutes that I said is that when we talk about it, don't just talk about it uh, in a no. Um, talk about the beauty that we have to say yes to. Uh, and I mean, people are only going to share what they want to share. We can't pull it. We can't, you know, pull teeth, force people to say things they don't want to say. Um, but those have been the things that have been helpful for me. Um, so I hope that's helpful. Yeah, that helps. It does. Hi, can I ask a question? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so my name is Anary. Um, I'm a student here at the U. I actually attended like a couple Bible studies with Liz and Zach. But so I didn't grow up in the church and mm -hmm. my parents are not Christian and I probably have the least amount of Christian knowledge here than anyone. <laughs> so thank you for like sharing, I guess, like your view about all of this because it was super helpful. Mm. 
but um so you should totally call me out on anything i say here because i probably don't know what i'm talking about but <laughs> no worries at all okay, so i guess like i learned in the past that when you have ill thoughts about something or when you like think about something or someone in a bad manner that's a sin mm-hmm. that's a sinful thought and and like you don't even act on it but just thinking about it is an equal of a sin as much as if you would act on it Hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and then depending on what you said I guess why isn't it a sin to have that type of attraction or think that way for someone from the same um, like sex as you same gender as you even though you're not acting on it why is there a difference in I guess like how sin is perceived by the I don't know if that makes any sense but yeah I think so so I'll try to answer it and then if I don't actually answer it you can tell me and I'll try again. Um, But when we're talking about um, attractions and thoughts and temptations that are happening internally versus acting on them externally. um, So Jesus has something to say about that too. So he says in Matthew 5 that anyone who even looks at a woman with intent to desire her with lust in his heart for her um, has already committed adultery in his heart. And that's applicable for women towards men too, or men towards men and women towards women. Um, so he's leveling the playing field and he's saying, no, it's not just the physical act, it's actually the lust that's already happening inside of our heads. Um, and so, so I don't wanna give the impression um, that what's happening inside our minds isn't sin too. We need to fight lustful thoughts and we need to fight uh, sinful desires. Um, here's the distinction that I would wanna draw. Um, Let's say, well, okay, right now, uh, I'm sitting in this room and I'm not experiencing an attraction toward anybody, right? I'm not thinking about being attracted to anyone. I'm not feeling anything right now, but I know that I'm still, I still have this predisposition towards being attracted to the same sex. So right now, I don't think I'm sinning, right? Even though I have a brokenness. And the Bible talks about brokenness um, and uh, weakness is a very... Uh, biblical term for this type of thing. I think about Romans chapter eight, where it says that our very bodies are groaning under the curse, right? We're broken. Even the ones who have the deposit of the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, all of us, every single one of us have brokenness and weakness uh, in ways that makes us prone to sin in this way or that way, or all, all these different ways that sin just comes bubbling out of us. We're all broken in those ways. And so Um, I think about having, being same-sex attracted as having this weakness, this brokenness that is not the way that it's supposed to be. It's a result of the fall. um, And it will be eradicated when Jesus comes back. Um, We will all be made perfect and we won't have all these brokennesses and these uh, propensities to desire things that we shouldn't. Um, So that's the same for me as it is for you, regardless of what your brokenness is, right? We're all in the same boat there. So then let's say you're just walking along, minding your own business, and this thought pops into your mind. You didn't go looking for it, right? You didn't ask for it, but boom, it's there. Now, what do you do? Well, what do you do is you turn from that thought to Jesus. You turn, you say, oh, nope, I'm not going there. You have that thought for whatever it is. And in my case, we can say that it would be maybe a a, a lustful thought towards another man. And I say, nope. That's not going to bring me joy. I turn from that thought to superior satisfaction found in Christ. What have I done there? Turning from sin to Jesus is repentance. That's what it is. Every single time we turn from sin to Jesus, whether we're turning from a lustful thought or we're turning from an action or we're turning from a way we've sinned against a brother or a sister, we're turning from that to Jesus. That's the very definition of repentance. And so we're repenting all the time. And that's just, and, and so many times we think, well, that's such a defeated way to live. No, it's a hopeful, beautiful way to live. We're constantly saying in our actions that Jesus is going to bring us more pleasure and more joy than those thoughts and those actions that we're fighting against, that we've turned from, because we turned from them to Jesus. Um, and so... So I wouldn't necessarily want to say, well, if you have all these thoughts, that's not sin. Don't worry about it, right? 
No, we want to fight against those things. But when we turn from sin to Jesus, that's a beautiful, hopeful thing. And we're having victory in Christ when we do that. So that's a beautiful thing. Um, and then, uh, and then th let's say that, you know, you go a step further and you actually act out on something. So you either um, dwell and linger on that thought and foster lust in your heart, right? Well, then you've actually like committed a, a, uh, an active sin, or maybe you act out on something with another person. Well, then that still requires repentance, right? So we turn from that to Jesus and we ask for forgiveness and say, Lord, I chose to do this with my will and I'm sorry and you need, I need forgiveness. So there's all these different steps um, that we walk down on the path towards sin. Um, but in every single one of them, what we're trying to do is say, Jesus is better and we're turning from that sin to him. And when we do that, what we're doing is making him look really, really beautiful. So that's how I think about it. I kind of think in those categories. I'm not super into drawing the exact line of when I've sinned and when I haven't. I don't think that's very helpful. I just think what we need to do is fight, turn to Jesus, repent when we have to, and live in the hope that one day all of this is going to be gone. <laughs> it's all going to be gone, and we're going to see him face to face, and it's going to be glorious. So does that help? Yeah. So basically, your, your motto is like, you know, love Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, Okay. <laughs> yep. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, uh, Ellie, Lindahl had a great idea. You can message um, me or Nick or whoever you'd feel comfortable messaging if you prefer not to say a question out loud and, and you'd rather have one of us just read it. Um, does yeah, I, I have a question. Or does anyone else have a burning question? I think we have maybe time for a couple more. Um, but in there, you asking, your question reminded me of this, because you and I have talked about this a couple times. Um, and I, I've talked about this a couple times with students at the U of M. But it's, it feels confusing, because I think um, along with the topic of sexual orientation, uh, the topic of ethnicity is also super a uh, really big one in our culture right now mm -hmm. and I know it can feel confusing or I've talked to students about this um that the church affirms oh your ethnicity is a core part of your being and, and is god-given and is lasting and something you shouldn't be ashamed of um but we say your sexual orientation is it you know we, we kind of sure. draw a difference there and I think that can feel confusing for someone coming into the church or investigating Christianity um, or in the church who, who just maybe is wondering. So I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. I have some basic thoughts on that. Um, <clears throat> I think, I think that the difference is the way that the Bible talks about each of those things, uh, is just fundamentally different. Um, and so what we see, um, so right away, revelation, uh, five and seven, revelation five to seven pops into my head where what we're going to see at the very end at the end days is everyone who's in Christ gathered around the throne from every tribe and tongue and language, and they will all be represented there. And what that means is that our ethnicities are not going to be wiped out in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth, right? They're going to be celebrated. They're going to be made perfect, right? We're all going to be made perfect, whatever that's going to look like, but they will be there. And um, all the different cultural distinctives that we have are going to be there in heaven. And so the Bible has this very positive view of <clears throat> uh, culture and ethnicities and um, from every tribe and tongue and language all around the world being represented around the throne um, while still maintaining our unity in Christ. So, right, we think about Galatians uh, 2 or 3. Um, there is neither uh, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, for we are, the, we are all one in Christ. And again, that doesn't mean that it takes away our ethnicity, but it means that our unity is greater than our diversity. Um, <clears throat> the, the, our orientation, though, sexual, uh, if you want to talk about in terms of orientation, um, what we see in the Bible is that, again, we were created male and female, and men and women are supposed to um, have desire for the opposite sex. And because of the fall, because of the brokenness that we see uh, coming from sin, from Adam and Eve, that gets messed up in people. <clears throat> and so while, while ethnicity is good and that's going to be represented in heaven, 
um, broken sexual desires, whatever they may be, um, are not going to be represented in the new heavens and the new earth. They're going to be made perfect. Um, and, and so it, it's just a different category of something that's true about you. <clears throat> it might be true of me that I have, um, you know, German and Norwegian uh, cultural heritage, and also that I experience same-sex attraction. But those are not um, uh, fundamentally the same types of things about me. One is just a part of who God created me to be, and the other one is a part of the brokenness of the fall that's in me. Um, and so I think we need to just really keep those categories clear uh, and say, yeah, it's part, of, it's part of who I am, but it's not the way it's supposed to be. And it, in, even saying that doesn't mean that I'm, it's so, oh man, how many times I've heard that uh, people say, you're just hating yourself, right? You're just a self-hating person um, because you're not accepting yourself for who you are. And uh, I just don't buy that. I don't hate myself. Uh, I love myself to know that that's broken and it's not going to bring me joy, right? That's not what I want to pursue. That's not the way that things are supposed to be. Um, and so the things that, that are true of me that are broken, I look to Jesus and I lay them at the foot of his cross. And the true things that are true of me that are just a part of who God created me to be, I celebrate in community in Christ. Um, and I look to him uh, in all of these things for perfection that will come when I see him face to face. So uh, they just seem like fundamentally different categories of things that are true of me. That's how I would talk about it. Yeah, thanks. That's, that's helpful. Um, maybe one or two more questions, if anyone has any more questions. Yeah, I have one. Um, so I know a few people that have uh, grown up in a church family. However, they have left the church um, due to the pain from struggling with uh, same-sex attraction and how like yeah. everyone else uh, views that. So like, how do you help with some of the healing and leading them back to Christ? Yeah, that's a great question. <clears throat> that's such a common narrative. Um, it's probably different uh, for each uh, specific situation. So I don't want to give just like a blanket answer that will um, probably not help in every single situation, but there's a few things that I think I would want to say. Um, number one, when you start talking to that person, don't just jump straight to focusing towards their sexuality. Um, let them know that you're in their life still because you care about them and that you don't see them as primarily their sexuality. You see them as a person that's worthy of love who bears the image of God. That's where you start. Start with them and let them know, hey, I love you. Yeah, I know this about you and I know your history and I know where you're at with the Lord, but I'm still here for you. I'm still in this with you. And, uh, and I want your joy. <laughs> I want what's good. I want your happiness. I want your eternal joy. And that's what I'm after. Um, and so getting them to believe that is true of you is going to help them to start feeling safe. Um, and then uh, I think the things to start talking about, because I mean, after that, things are going to start coming up, right? Sexuality is going to come up. Um, so just start talking about sexuality in the terms of the positive alternative script that we just talked about. Kind of challenge the notion of hey, do you really think that being, uh, being able to express every sexual desire that you have is really what's going to bring you happiness? Do you really think that's true? I mean, look around at the culture. Just see the rampantness of pornography and sexual deviancy and people just looking for joy and it's not working. <laughs> is that really what's going to bring you joy? Or is it something else? Um, and do you really need those things to have true intimate friendships um, to experience sacrificial love? Do you really? <laughs> um, and just kind of start to just gently have those conversations all well, still letting them know that you're not, uh, you know, you're not hating them. Um, you're still there for them. You love them. You're having these conversations because you love them and you care for them. Um, and <clears throat> it may be, uh, I've, I've talked to people where once you start talking like that, they just, they can't hear it and they'll shut down the conversation. And if someone does that, all you can do is keep praying and keep loving. 
Uh, and you can only be as engaged as they'll let you to be. Um, but you just, you try to talk about it in ways that are like, this is a positive vision. This is what we have to offer. Uh, and it's beautiful. And, um, and I, I would want you to say yes to this. And so when you start talking like that, then that might start to break down some barriers and help them to feel like you actually believe that it's not just an us versus them thing. Um, so that's where I would start. And then just the only other thing I'd say is I get the question all the time of how do you, uh, it's like, how do I share the gospel with my gay and lesbian friends and neighbors? And the, the thing that I say to everybody is, well, the same thing. Don't start with their sexuality. Start with the gospel, the beauty of Jesus, the ways that Jesus has transformed your life, the ways that he has met your deepest desires and fulfilled your needs and cared for you. Um, and present it as just the beauty that it actually is and help them to see, oh yeah, I would, I'd like that, <laughs> right? Uh, that's something that I, I would want. Um, <clears throat> and then the conversations about sexuality come downstream and people get really turned off when you share the gospel by saying, hey, did you know that the Lord doesn't uh, condone homosexual uh, activity? Trust in him, right? That doesn't, that just doesn't work. Start with the gospel and the beauties of Christ in these conversations. Make it personal to yourself and say, this is the way that the Lord has changed my life. And then those other questions will come later on. Thanks, Nick. That's so good. Um, I think just to respect everyone's time, we'll probably close out. But if you have more questions um, that you didn't get to ask, you could ask a staff person. Um, I mean, this is, this is like to start a conversation and, and have a helpful category. Nick did a really awesome job, I think, giving us that. And then, I don't know, I mean, maybe you could email him too if you had. Um, Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, with him, that'd be. Um, so, so let me know, I can give you um, his email or, or whatever, um, however that would work. Um, but can I pray for you, Nick, and for us before we, before we close out? Um, Father, I am really thankful that you are a God of yes and not of no. Um, and that feels just like a baseline, uh, difficult thing to believe in a global pandemic, <laughs> um, where we're hearing no to even kind of, um, seeing our friends and family right now. And, uh, our whole life, normal life has been disrupted and um, it is so easy for me to believe daily to to get give in to thinking you um, you want to take joy from me instead of give it and yet um, I think of uh, in Psalm eighty four it says the Lord God is a sun and a shield and he bestows favor and honor uh, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly and in the gospel what like what Nick was talking about in the beauty of the gospel um, you see us as Jesus as those who are walking uprightly. Um, when we repent and turn to him. And, and that is so beautiful that that means you withhold no good thing from us. Um, and so wherever we are um, tonight, any of us, whether we're investigating Christianity or thinking, I still think this is um, just kind of a load of, a load of crap, um, or whether we've been in the church our whole lives and think this is, you know, I, I could share the gospel with anyone or wherever we may be. Um, would we, uh, would I just pray that, we would feel repentant that it would really ring deep that this even thinking about same-sex attraction that's um it maybe we need to repent over that's no different than any sin i struggle with or maybe um maybe we we are sitting here thinking man there are sins in my own life that i i've never talked to anyone about and would your holy spirit um encourage and and um convict and and give um, energy and, and peace to people and would we share our lives with our friends and with our um, our family and the church uh, deeply and would there be uh, deep sweet family even in the time of us staying in our houses um, every day and so I, I pray um, I'm thankful for Dave and his family and how Nick gets to bless them and live with them and um, I pray that this pandemic would be a really sweet time actually um, in his life and that you would bless um, bless him and his ministry and um yeah, God, I'm I'm so thankful. I'm really thankful for the hope of Jesus tonight and for the reminder, reminder of that. And so I pray all this in your name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at cominneapolis.org.